Welcome to the Theodisc Podcast. I'm Kenny Innes, your host, and in this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Shola Akala. Shola has taught New Testament at WTC. She's a fellow at St. John's College, Durham University, and she holds a BA in History, an MA in Biblical Literature, and a PhD in New Testament from Asbury Seminary, Kentucky. Shola's church ministry spans decades of local and international preaching and teaching, aimed at facilitating biblical literacy, theological understanding, and spiritual maturity. She is the author of The Son-Father Relationship and Christological Symbolism in the Gospel of John, and Shola has also convened two conferences on the glory of God, which resulted in a volume of essays which she edited entitled Exploring the Glory of God, New Horizons for a Theology of Glory. And it's this theme of glory that we spoke about in our conversation. In the preamble to his gospel, John declares of the Son, the Word made flesh, we have seen his glory. And we explored with Shola what this glory means in relation to God, to the early witnesses of Christ, and to us today. Enjoy. Shola, it is wonderful to have you on the Theodisc podcast. Thank you for making the time to talk to us. Thank you for inviting me. Really appreciate this um, privilege, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, today we're going to be talking a little bit. We can't hit it all because it's such a, a large subject, but we're going to be talking a little bit about the, uh, the idea of glory mm-hmm. in the Gospel of John. But before we do that, before we dive into that conversation, all of my first-time guests on the podcast are subjected to three questions um, because we want to get to know you a little bit before we get into the theology. So these are questions that are really based around things that you return to, um, things that are kind of constants that you always go back to. And the three things are a book that you return to, and you can't do the Bible, so it has to be something other than that. A food that you return to, and a place that you return to. So let's go for the book first. So that's a difficult one, and I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I don't have a specific book. Um, I spend practically all my waking hours reading um, biblical and theological material. So um, as a variation, though, I turn to a different I turn to a different genre, which is biblical fiction or Christian biographies or autobiographies. And so I always have a pile waiting to be read. And there's just something about going into the personal life stories of people um, that that does something to me. It, It serves as a witness to me and an encouragement of the perseverance and um, the faith, you know, these are people who have um, walked the walk and have a story to tell. Yeah. So I really love, and biblical fiction is the same, you know, biblical fiction of, of characters rather. Yeah. So characters and yeah, biblical fiction. So, yeah. So that's it in, in terms of, in terms of books. Yeah. It's more of genre rather than a particular book. Yeah. Great. We'll let you away with that. That's good. (laughs) Uh, what about a food that you enjoy that you keep going back to? It could be a kind of food or it can be a specific meal. Okay, so because I normally skip breakfast, so I don't get to enjoy breakfast as every as all um, you know others do. 
Um, so I would go for baked beans and egg on toast any time of the day, if, um, if uh, you know, as as a kind of that, or creamy oatmeal with nutmeg, raisins, and nuts. Yeah, sounds good. I've not had my breakfast today either, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What about uh what about a place that you return to? Oh, a place because I have um let's see, because I've resided in so many places and um you know, just different countries, different parts of my life, you know, I could just go down the list. I don't have a particular geographical place. So this is another thing I'm doing, which I did for the books. But um I love river walks, anywhere where there's water. So wherever I am, where's the river, where's the water, where's the pond? And I'm drawn towards that, just walking and praying. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a particular geographical place, but yeah. So, and that's why, you know, I love being in Durham because we've got the River Weir and it's just lovely to to do a long, a long river walk. Yeah, so I enjoy that. Yeah, Brilliant. Thank you, Shola. Now we know you. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know me from oatmeal and baked beans and, and toast. And rivers. <laughs> well, let's let's turn to what we really want to talk about today. Um, and I know you've d- done a lot of work in your field in this, this idea of glory in the gospel of john and i think we have in john this large kind of overarching idea of belief of believing in jesus and glory as being a, a key part of that but i thought we might begin with it with maybe a bit of definition of the word glory because that word feels a little bit nebulous um we talk about giving glory to god um if you're in a particularly pentecostal tradition you might talk about the glory cloud there's lots of different ways that we use we use that word um what what would you say about it, the concept of glory as it relates to um as it relates to god how it functions in a biblical context uh, yeah so those varied ways of you know the way people use glory they're all they're actually all valid and scriptural because there's biblical evidence for all, you know all the different notions of glory that we have however um i think the primary biblical definition of god's glory is it, god's glory is his um visible or tangible manifestation and it it covers all the various demonstrations of god's character and attributes to humanity, which means that the the concept of glory is multifaceted. Hence, God's glory includes, you know, the manifestation of his name, his splendor, his majesty, his power, his beauty, his judgment, his mercy. You know, it's just a visible, tangible manifestation of of himself. Yeah. Great. That's really helpful. and it's good to know that we can use it in the ways that we've been using it. We're we're all okay. <laughs> yes, we can, but to be aware that yeah. there's a wide expanse of that meaning of that word. Yeah. <laughs> so, and John John doesn't take very long when he opens his gospel to get into this idea of glory. Um, we have in the the prologue to John, 
a number of symbols that he introduces. But in verse 14, he talks about the glory in connection with Jesus. Um, maybe we can talk about how John is going to use that throughout his gospel. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so um, when we open, as you said, the gospel of John, the prologue, you know, introduces us to John's concept of glory. Um, and basically what we have in the prologue and the, the reason I love the prologue because it is creative literary skill, um, narrative strategy and theological um, revelation at its best. You know, there's, there's just something, there's, there's so much um, we can glean from that. And John in the prologue, John is preparing his readers for the ensuing narrative. Um, the prologue is the key to understanding the entire gospel. It's the key to understanding how Christ is unveiled in the entire narrative. And so after introducing the Christ as Logos in verses one to three, John goes on to unveil um, Jesus as divine light in four to 13, hinting, and those two titles hint at concepts of glory and revelation. But when we arrive at verse 14, the divine logos and light is revealed as Yahweh's divine son. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth. What, so when we get when we get to all of a sudden and the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, it could easily be accompanied by dramatic musical sound effect. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And uh, that is because the word, um, for, for John's readers, the word dwell is, of course, is the word, you know, literally is the word tabernacled. And once you hear that, you know, and, and the, you, it just recalls the Old Testament, the spectacular, dramatic manifestations of God's glory in the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, um, the, 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 the journey in the wilderness. And, and so this Logos light character um, being who has been introduced in the prologue um, has now fully descended to earth in full divine glory. And from henceforth, the Johannine Christ is to be viewed through the prism of divine glory and relationship with the Father, as it is declared in John 1.14. And um, so let me also let me also add that what John is also doing there is that by invoking Moses's experience of divine glory, John wants his readers to know that Christ's glory surpasses all the levels of glory that have been revealed in the Old Testament. Yeah. Pretty amazing then that this glory is revealed in human form. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that is um, basically um, John declaring to us that the expected Messiah, because of course we know John's gospel is radically different from the other three gospels. And so he doesn't come through the framework of Jesus as the Messiah. He comes through the framework of Jesus as the son of God. And he'd already hinted at that 
um, concept of divine relationship when he 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 um, declared that for those who believed in him, he gave them power to become the children of God and talks about how they are born of God. So the, the idea of re divine relationship has is already, you know, is culminates in that this is the the ultimate of that relationship. This is the Son of God. Yeah. So maybe let's dig into that because you've you've mentioned that twice now about the idea of glory having within it this relationship between son and father. What's the prominence that John gives to that relationship? How does that relate to God's self-revelation? Because we've got in verse 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. It is the only son himself, God, who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. Yeah, so the prominence in terms of John, and once again, this is one of the uniquenesses of the gospel of John, is that in John, the father God is the father. The father is the title, is the primary title for God. The father is the primary title for God, which is, you know, that word occurs in the Gospel of John more than all the synoptics put, you know, than the synoptics put together. And so John is presenting to, uh, to us God as the father and Jesus as the son. So God um, the self-revelation of of God as the Father and Jesus as the Father's representative. So by the time we get to John 1 18, um, the word for revealer is the is the word exegete, um, exegeomai. Um, and, and basically he's the one who interprets the Father. And and that's what John is doing. If you want to know the Father, if you want to know God, the Father, then look at Jesus Christ, the Son. What he says and what he does is ex representing the Father in visible, physical, human form to be seen. So in, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself through the prophets. Um, they weren't sons of God. They were appointed. Um, the Son is not necessary is not appointed in that way the son has this unique relationship with the father in that he is one with the father he is also god yeah and and, and that's that's very important for john yeah because jesus keeps coming back to that doesn't he throughout the gospel he keeps referring to himself as doing the will of the father um that's a, a constant thing that he he brings up particularly when he's yes. defending himself or trying to explain his mission. Yes, yes, exactly. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus does not speak about himself outside his relationship with the Father. Everything he says about himself is connected to the Father. That that whole identity, his identity, he is so one with the Father. And that's what he wants. He wanted his audience, especially um, the those who didn't believe in him, he wanted them to accept him on those terms he wanted them to accept him on the terms that he indeed is the son of god he's the divine son of god and 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 with the underlying key of relationship because that is what god wanted in the old testament he wanted a relationship he didn't want this distant um formal interaction that was not the whole idea 
the whole idea was for them to have this close relationship with him. Um, that was what he wanted, and that was what was missed, and that is what he sent his son to to pick up that line, to pick up that strand of the story of redemption. Now, the story of redemption is not just we're being redeemed from sin, we're being redeemed from death, but that we're being restored to relationship. And, and that really is, yeah, the message that the Johannine Christ brings, yeah. So the incarnation then is vital in light of that mission. Part of Jesus' revealing of the Father in this relationship includes the human element, the human relationship with the Father. Yes, I mean, it, it, it is. It is because he is giving us, he's giving us an example of how we are to relate to the Father. In other words, our identity should not be outside the Father. You know, an identity is a big thing you know, right now, that I, I, our identity is so closely linked to the Father or should be so closely linked to the Father, the way Jesus presented it, presented himself in the Gospel of John. In other words, we were to follow his footsteps in terms of his self-consciousness, in terms of his self-consciousness, his awareness, his identity, and he did not see himself as he did not see himself as existing outside his relationship with the father. Um, Remembering, you know, in John 14, eight to nine, where Philip said, <laughs> Philip said, Lord, show us the father. Yeah, you know? yeah. and, and Jesus said, come on, Philip, you've been with me. <laughs> After all, I've said that all you've heard. So Jesus says, I've been with you so long and you have not you know, you don't haven't come to know me, you know. So anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Yeah. It's an amazing statement of the unity between the Father and Son. Yeah. And it's interesting that John says we have seen his glory. Mm -hmm. So John introduces this idea that there are witnesses to this glory and that what's about to unfold in the gospel is the narrative of that witness of what Jesus has said and done and revealed. Yes, exactly. So maybe we can talk a little bit, how does John flesh out throughout his gospel um, how people have seen Jesus' glory or the glory of the Father revealed through Jesus? So we 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 beheld his glory. Um, they're different the different verbs of seeing in the New Testament, I mean, in the Bible altogether, whenever the word glory occurs, even in the Old Testament, so much more in the New Testament as well, it's always accompanied by verbs of seeing. Not surprisingly, in John 1.14, we have the concept of glory along with the verb of seeing. And that particular, and so there are different ways in which to interpret that word. And I do not like the word seen. Um, we have seen his glory. <laughs> it is so late. I should have picked a different translation. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the way it's commonly, you know, that's the way, that's the way it's commonly quoted. It, that word, that word means to gaze upon, to behold, you know, it means to gaze upon. It conveys the idea of wonder, you know, a riveted gaze. It's, gaze. it's not a ca casual glance or 
probably some kind of intellectual observation or physical observation. It, it's like a, a riveted gaze, you know. We have, we beheld his glory, you know, with, with wonder, a sustained, yeah. you know, a sustained attention. Um, I can't take my eyes off it. That that's what that that's what that implies. And which is quite interesting because when you think of the concept of glory in the Old Testament, it came with this um you know, dramatic, you know, visuals, you know, the light and the lightning and and the dazzling effect. But when we look at Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't walk around with a halo around his head. He was just, you know, he was just an ordinary ordinary Jewish man. And so when, you know, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And and scholars have always debated, you know, what what do they see? What exactly do they see? And I'll just give four different um, options, you know. First of all, some scholars wonder if John 1.14 is John's transfiguration, Hmm. because the most confounding fact about John's gospel is that he does not give us the transfiguration, which is, you know, the glory, which is the physical manifestation like you had in the Old Testament, you know, that Peter didn't even want. He said, let's build a tabernacle like they had in the Old Testament, you know, and John leaves it out. So scholars have said maybe this is this is um you know a hint at the at the transfiguration. So that's one aspect. And of course, the other one, which is the more common one, is that it refers to the signs because John John doesn't use the word miracles, he uses the word signs, you know, and a sign points to something. And so we've got the seven signs, and that's another pet peeve of mine, is that I don't think we should limit them to seven. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a great round number, sure. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. It's like a, a theological scriptural, yeah, magical number. <laughs> you know, let's round it up to seven. No, I mean, because even in the list of seven, you've got turning water into wine, which is the first time. Is that John 2 11? And this is the beginning of signs. So we've got the turning of water into wine. This is the beginning of signs, which lets us know what a sign is. You know, I think there's the, a mention of a second sign, but there's no, and this is a fourth sign, and this is a fifth sign, and this is a seventh sign. This is a seventh and the final sign. John doesn't say that at the raising of Lazarus. You know, he doesn't say, and this is the seventh and the final sign, because the the, the crucifixion in itself is a sign. You know, the resurrection is a sign. Even, you know, we just finished Easter, um, the, his entrance into Jerusalem. You know, was a sign, and so you know that we could we could go on and on in terms of the signs. But basically, um, in terms of we beheld his glory once again, mani- Jesus manifesting himself, Jesus manifesting his divinity, and then of course there's the crucifixion, and there's the whole idea about John. What is the glory? Is it the crucifixion or the ascension? And you know, Luther is the one who talks about this um the, the glory of the um the glory of the the crucifixion that you know the the glory you know of him being lifted up lifted up on the earth and then in in John 17:4 in the in the prayer the the final you know the the farewell prayer Jesus says I've glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do and so basically just rounding up all that Jesus did, his obedience. And, and you know, and, and so there's no particular one thing that we can say 
this is what they beheld, but it's the entire life of Christ, mm. his entire life and all that he did was what, you know, represented a manifestation of divine glory. Yeah. It's interesting that at the wedding, that story concludes with John saying, and this is the first moment um, and it's not just that we saw Jesus do something amazing. Yeah. It's the first moment that, through which he revealed his glory. His glory, yes. Yes, exactly. Now, you mentioned there, and we're kind of skipping ahead to the, the moment where Jesus is speaking and praying for his disciples, which when you read over those few chapters, is just a flurry of glory. There's glory all throughout what Jesus is saying, the glory of the mm. Father, the glory of the Son, I've given mm. glory, you've glorified me. And then this this strange thing that Jesus says in verse 22 of chapter 17, the glory you have given me, I have given them mm-hmm. so that they may be one as we are one. So there seems to be something about some kind of participation in this mm-hmm. glory that Jesus in, is inviting the disciples into maybe we can talk about what that is yeah yeah so how do we unpack that okay in the direct context of john 17 22 the participation focuses on unity so they are called in john 17 they are called into relational union with the father and the son you know the the relationship between the father and the son has already been emphasized throughout the gospel and so it is at this point in john 17 that jesus articulates um the the opening for the disciples to be part of that father-son relationship you know and the oneness leads to participating in the mission of making the father known I'll, I'll read out John 14, 11 to 13, which is after the dialogue about Philip, which I just referred to, um, seeing the father. Jesus states, states, believe me that I am in the father and that the father is in me. So there's that oneness there. Otherwise, believe me because of the works themselves. Once again, the works and works is a big thing in John. It's one of the key words in John, you know, the works that Jesus Christ is doing. Um, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatsoever you ask my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I think there, in a nutshell, you have one of the aspects, it's not just, it's not the only aspect, but one of the aspects of 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 the participation is participation in the mission and the mission includes revealing the works of christ revealing the works of god participation in the mission because i'm going to the father you continue to do what i have been doing what i have been training you to do for the past three and a half years so hence i see participation as continuing to reveal the glory of the father as jesus did in his earthly ministry. And the other thing is that all this would happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why we don't hear about the Holy Spirit till we get to the farewell chapters. You know, Jesus hasn't been talking about the Holy Spirit all this while. We're talking about himself and the Father. And now we get to the farewell chapters and he brings in the ministry of the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit will do this and the Spirit will do that. And in John 15, um, 26 to 27, he says, when the helper comes, whom I would send to you from the Father, 
Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So in other words, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is to testify about Jesus. And in doing that, we are participating in the mission. John is very kind to us um, in chapter 20 when he Jesus says to Thomas about mm. blessed are those who believe who have not seen me. And, and John has given us this witness to the glory of God in, in his gospel. How do we continue to participate in this story of God's glory that we see in, in John? Yeah. Going back to, you know, following John's agenda, John's theological agenda, John's theological strategy. He introduces glory with the concept of beholding. And that's the first step of participating, is that we behold. We have to behold, and behold in the sense of which I described, you know, our eyes riveted on him, keeping our eyes on him, a continual beholding. And we beheld his glory. And so we behold God's glory through reading and studying scripture get be immersed in the word that reveals the glory rather than look for some external temporary manifestation our um, participation in the glory should be rooted in the word and it's quite interesting like you know and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth and you know that word truth is very important because later on in john 17 17 Jesus declares, thy word is truth, you know, so the glory full of truth, the glory full of the word of God. So the, the term truth is an important element in God's revelation of glory. And I think that's, that is the first step to participating in, in that. And then when we understand, when we see the glory of God as revealed through the gospel of John, then we understand that it is it is embedded in that relationship. And we have a desire to enter into that relationship, be identified in that relationship and live by that relationship, mm-hmm. that God's glory is relational. That's the key. It is more relational than it is experiential. <laughs> and I think that's the key aspect of participating in, in the glory of God is understanding that. What do you think about that in terms of that internal relationship is externalized um, in our daily living, our work, our education, the people that we know on our street? Is there a sense in which we are now involved in that work of revealing the glory of God to others. Yeah, and and that takes us once again back to the theme of relationship. In our witness to the world, one of the most outstanding things that should be observed about us is that we are children. We're not just believers, and that is a valid title for what we definitely have to believe. I mean, John is all about believing, but the believing leads us into being children of God. As many as believed, he gave them the right to become children of God. And therefore, our identity to the world is that we are children 
of God in the real sense of being sons and daughters of God. And, and in terms of, it's just like in the natural, if you have a parent, a father or mother that you're proud of, that is how you identify yourself. You're proud of your name. You're proud of your your hometown or your, you know, you, where, you, where you come from. You know, there's just something about, you want everybody to know who whose you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that you and that you are proud to represent that person. You're proud to represent your father or your mother or your heritage or you know your your genealogy. And I think it's the same thing in terms of you know God's glory um, revealed through us is that we become an embodiment of of God's of of the knowledge of God we become an embodiment of knowing God it's it's like people look at us and they they have a sense of what it is to to know God of a sense of what it is to become if they take that step of believing that if i believe in Jesus Christ this is the prospect for my life, that I have a sense of identity. I have a rootedness. I have a rootedness in in the creator, in God himself. And I think that's a primary way from the Johannine. I mean, there, there are just so many biblical ways in which, you know, we could be witnesses to the world. But in terms of John, John is, you are a child of God. You are, you, you have a relationship with the father, this filial relationship. Um, and and that is that is the that is the framework for witnessing. That is the framework for witnessing in terms of of being known to the world. And then along with that comes the the manifestation of who God is in in terms of the way he he touches our lives, the way he answers prayers. And that's why Jesus spoke a lot about you know whatever you ask in my name. I will do it. And it's in terms of fulfilling the mission. So we take that and we take that personally. Oh, I need this or I need that, you know. But the context of that, whatever you ask, ask in my name, is in fulfilling the mission because that is what Jesus Christ was talking about, you know, that I'm leaving. They're going to continue the mission. You're going to continue the mission. And in, in terms of the mission, whatever you need to fulfill that mission, I will do it so that the glory of God may be seen. When I asked you to have this conversation, I knew that our time would be limited and that we were not going to be able to get into everything. Uh, but I want to thank you for the richness of what you've brought in this conversation and I think perhaps the best response for all of us for those who are listening for myself probably for you too <laughs> is to dive headlong into the gospel of John and to find um, the glory of God that's revealed there in the father-son relationship thank you very much for, for allowing me to to talk about my favorite book the pleasure the honor was ours thank you so much for giving your time and for for being here with us appreciate you Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shola and you feel inspired to not only see the theme of glory in the Gospel of John, but to identify the ways you can participate in the revelation of God's glory to the world. In our next Theodisc episode, Kenny will be joined by Dr. Jason Myers, who teaches New Testament at WTC with a particular focus on Paul. They will be talking about Paul, politics, and pragmatism. It will be a great discussion about Paul's desire to preach the gospel with all its political controversies while helping the church navigate the complexities of the Roman Empire. Theodisc is a part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programs without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk. Thank you for listening to episode 15 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 16 with Jason Myers when we talk about Paul, politics, and pragmatism. Bye for now! Thank you.